Hey, welcome to another podcast. Uh, yours truly, the round guy, Steve Pilchin, and uh, two guests on the line. By the grace of God, the genius of Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, I've been looking forward to this uh, podcast for some time. On the line with me, former major leaguer Ken McMullen, star of a number of different teams, in particular the Los Angeles Dodgers and uh, uh, manager of Baseball Fantasies Fulfilled, where I first met him during a baseball fantasy camp. Probably, Ken, uh, help me out here, 1984, 85, perhaps? Oh, it goes back a long way, that's for sure. Yes. And on the other line is a gentleman I met at a fantasy camp. Probably I had done a, a couple prior to this, to meeting Fred Fritz Pee-wee Razor. Welcome aboard, Pee-wee, who has become one of my best friends throughout the years, as is Kenny McMullen, uh, as a result of these baseball fantasy camps. Pee-wee, good afternoon with you, buddy. Good to be here. I'm in Buffalo, New York, and uh, the guy's been, uh, he's been after me for something years now. He's been stalking me, so this is going to be a fun day. Well, I sure hope so. There's no reason it shouldn't be. We're just going to relive and recount uh, the glorious career of Ken McMullen. Started out, Kenny, with the uh, Washington Senators, is that correct? No, I signed with the Dodgers originally and uh, got traded to the Senators uh, after about three, four years in the organization. Right. And then they decided they couldn't uh, play without you, so they, could, and they brought you back eventually. Eventually, uh, from Washington, I got traded to the Angels, California Angels, and then from there back to the Dodgers. And then I finished up one year in Oakland and one in Milwaukee. Now, you achieved something that us kids growing up just simply weren't good enough uh, to do, and that is play Major League Baseball, and you did it for how many years? Well, as I tell a lot of people, I fooled them for 14 years. Yeah, good luck. That's... uh, 14 years more so than Pee Wee and I did. We wanted to be major leaguers, but nobody asked us. So this baseball fantasy camp thing was the next best thing. And I, I believe it, it started for me in 1984. And, and the, the first camp, I met you. Pee Wee wasn't there yet. But you were, and I remember at the banquet, getting up and uh, saying a few words, and one of which uh, was absolutely true. When I was a young boy and I bought baseball cards, uh, there seemed to be, while I always wanted to get the Mickey Mantle, there was always one card I got all the time. All the time I would get this one card of this one player. Who, to be honest, at that time, couldn't care less about but that name was Ken McMullen. And, and uh, so I had a stack of Ken McMullen cards, and those were the ones that I would close pin to my bicycle to make it sound like a motorcycle. Kenny, that's how I first became uh, aware of you. And what you may not know is that I recently uh, looked into an auction 
of sports memorabilia, and your rookie card sold for $7,000. What do you think of that? No, that's not true. It is. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. A mint Ken McMullen card, uh, a gem mint tin, which is as high as you can go, I saw the the hammer price on that on that card seven thousand dollars. Well, you shouldn't have put my card near bicycle wheels now. Right? Well, I I shouldn't have. You're right. But uh, tell everybody why your rookie card is so expensive. Oh, you know, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, uh, I happened to be a rookie the same year that uh, Pete Rose was a rookie. So <laughs> we are on the same card. Now I realize why it's so much. Yeah, got it. Yeah, and there was two other guys on there who who nobody knows. I can't remember. But uh, Ken McMullen is, is prominently displayed right above Pete Rose. And... And uh, it sold for $7,000. And I've seen that price kind of escalate over the years. And, and so for this one, I, I was a little surprised to see it sell for that much. But, but then again, I wasn't. Now, uh, speaking of Pete Rose, uh, let's get the, the thoughts on a former prominent major leaguer like yourself, an all-star third baseman. What are your thoughts on Pete Rose being in the uh, Hall of Fame? Well, what Pete Rose did certainly uh, merits going into the Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about that. But there is uh, every time he went into a clubhouse, there was a sheet of paper that uh, talked about gambling. And uh, so everybody was aware of it. And I guess when he broke the rules, that uh, that's the way it is. But uh, you can't take away what he did on the field. He was a great ball player, and uh, well, he made a mistake, I guess. Yeah. Pee Wee Razor is on the line with us as a guest, and I met you at probably my either my second or my third fantasy camp. And and the way it started out, Kenny, you may not know may not know this, but you're familiar with Pee Wee over the years, as you were the manager of these camps each time I was there, but uh, the fellow that came up with the idea, Max Shapiro, and his assistant, Bonnie, they called me, and they said, hey, we got a guy coming to this camp that's uh, funnier than you. (laughs) So, that's how they phrased it, And, and so I was immediately pissed off I thought, there's no way there's a guy funnier than me going to be in one of these. And, and so sure enough, the camp starts, and they had apparently said something to him about me because the next thing you know, I got this guy just tugging at my jersey. You know, he just wanted to hang around with me, you know, and I kind of blew him off. And he said a couple of uh, jokes that I didn't think were funny, and I'm thinking to myself, they think this guy's funnier than me? And I was just uh, uh, upset about it, and and uh, but but like myself, he he liked to hit, he liked to work at. We were both young enough at the time. We were we we're. I'm not going to say we were in good shape, but we were we did okay for ourselves. Let's put it that way. And and at the end of the uh, games in the afternoon, he and I stuck around and and uh, took 
extra batting practice, which I liked about him. And then when we went in the clubhouse and, and went to shower up and everything, he he said something that was so uh, off color and and uh, offensive that I just fell in love with him from then on. I thought this guy he can hang. So. Pee-wee, welcome aboard, and uh, tell everybody what you're up to now, and uh, uh, your uh, reminiscences of early camps on up until the time we had to retire. Well, first of all, it was 1985, okay, and uh, we've been going ever, ever, ever since then. We've gone to, I've gone to nine camps. You've probably gone to 12 camps. It's been great, but I, I'm a very positive person. Uh, to give you an idea, I still have a comb in my back pocket. I sure don't need it. <laughs> yeah. I have my phone number since high school, still waiting for a call from the major league team. You know, but as far as my life, uh, I got on with it. If I had to get a job, and I am retired now, but there are two companies that are after me right now, and that's Visa and Mastercard. <laughs> uh, but I. I left the company that I was with for 40 years when uh, the chief financial officer asked me uh, how often our annual report comes out. So I knew that wasn't the right company for me. So, uh, But the baseball is what can be going all the time. You know, you go to the camp for once a year and, uh, you know, you meet such interesting people in, from all walks of life. Everything from and uh, dentists to psychologists, the people who just work as hard as they can on a line somewhere, you know, uh, whether they're plumbers, whatever. And this was this is what made it so much fun. So enjoy the heck out of it. Let's start talking about some of it. All right, you start, sir. Ooh. Um, people ask me, who was your favorite out of all the camps? And obviously, you know, we'll get to talk about Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and some of the greatest, but I'll tell you, one of the guys who stood out the most was Brooks. And, and Brooks was amazing because he was nice to everybody. Um, and I always took all the stuffing out of my glove. I played infield, and, I, and when someone hit a ball, the last thing I wanted to do was pop out of my glove. And as you see that, even with major leaguers today, Brooks took his glove and folded it at the end of the inning and put it in his back pocket. It would stick out, obviously, but, you know, he wanted to be able to feel that ball also. And we were playing against, uh, what, what happens in a lot of the camps is some of the people would be managing the team, but also hitting if they wanted to. And we had a pitcher on our team who was about five foot four. He was a psychologist. And what happened was Brooks Robinson grabs a bat at one point. Uh, and, and then and he goes up there. This guy, he, you can see him shaking. And he throws a ball in there. Brooks hit it not only out of the park, but over the light standard. And I thought, I always knew he was the best glove. But that was a hit too. So they the ball, and the just said to the Brooks, Would you sign this baseball for me? And Brooks signed it, and he said, You know, this was the easiest ball I ever signed. And the psychologist said, why? He said, because of this big flat spot where I hit the shit out of it. <laughs> it's a great guy. You could ask him anything. He was always happy-go-lucky. And, uh, and I'm sorry to pass away about a year ago. Awesome. 
Uh, Kenny, how many home runs did you hit like that? <laughs> I never hit a flat-sided bomb, for sure, but uh, I hit 156 in my career, so. That's awesome. Now, Ken, you were the director of these fantasy camps that I'm, I'm led to believe are still going on. It's just that that uh, back in our day, you know, there was still a lot of the famous old-timers that had retired and would come to these camps. Now, it seems like a lot of teams that have a, a fantasy camp, you know, their retired players are guys that are pretty recent, right? Well, correct. Yeah, I haven't done a fantasy camp in a long time, and it's name recognition. I mean, uh, certainly... Uh, <laughs> You'd have to go in the encyclopedia to get my name out anymore. So, yeah, it's it's different today. What was it like for you to have been retired and yet come back and be kind of the manager and oversee the daily uh, uh, things that go on at a fantasy camp? What's a couple of your vivid memories? Well, my. My job was to organize, but we were teaching fundamentals, just like the spring training, and the way we set it up. Uh, we'd have inter-squad games and uh, take batting practice, infield practice. and uh, So uh, that was the design, was to make it like a spring training. So, but uh, what I'd like to, re what I remember about you is when I first got there, it was amazing. You had pinstripe. Yankee uniform, and uh, there was such a semblance of uh, you looking a little bit like Babe Ruth. And the problem was, uh, I you know I was watching you and Pee Wee and everybody else, uh, you know, see what ability everybody had. I remember that uh, Babe Ruth hit from the left side, and you hit from the right side. And right. if you if you'd have taken uh, start hitting from the left side, you'd have been two steps closer to first. And some of those things, you hit the right field, you would have made it. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's like a half a minute for you. <laughs> you there? But I remember I remember Pee Wee also really? uh, when uh, he came in. I was looking at him and. I, the name, you know, Pee Wee is like Pee Wee Reese, and so I, I kind of he kind of stood up in my mind, and he had a good glove, but he couldn't hit very good either. So, uh, do we lose you? Okay, we're back again and experience a smidge of uh, technical difficulties, but we're back. And uh, Ken McMullen, uh, former Dodger great, and uh, Pee Wee uh, Razor, uh, another fellow fantasy camper like myself. Kenny, you were in the process to talk a little bit about Pee Wee and his uh, lack thereof of hitting skill. I'll review that. Let's let's start from there again. Well, as I saw Pee Wee, as his nickname says, uh, that. I watched him field, and he had a great glove. And uh, but then when he got in the batter's box, he was having a little trouble hitting. So uh, consequently, uh, there wasn't any semblance to Pee Wee Reese. But uh, <laughs> anyway, he was—he was, he was a funny guy to be around. That's for sure. The hard part was, I could have hit off of a pitcher, but I couldn't hit off of a machine. Hit off the arm. You yeah. Know? 
that made it difficult off of you know, you get out there and pitch, I'll still hit the ball. You know, it's not going to be far, but I'm going to hit it. And I was about to say before, um, Phil, what was the left-hand pitcher that we faced um, in Milwaukee that uh, struck you out and you almost took the bat and broke it over your knee? Uh, I don't know if you can narrow it down to just one. There were a lot of guys that struck me out. Yeah, but when that happened, I was batting behind you, and I just went up there, and I know when you go up against the real, it was Rolly Fingers. And when you go up against the the Fingers, I know one thing, the very first pitch, don't fool around with, I hit it over the third baseman's head, and that was it. You know, you get on the first base, and and, uh, I'm still batting a 1,000. It's great. That's great. You know, I can remember one day, the final game, what the fantasy camps did, that the end of the week, usually they had um, like a whole Special Olympics or somebody like that that they would give money to. So they put a lot of people in the stands, and it was, it was a good cause, and it was real good. So that particular day, uh, I was going to be pitching starting in the third inning, and they had a, it was a surgeon who's going to be starting off pitching. And, you know, that's the best spot where they introduce you and the pitching today is and you run out there. And he came up to me just before the game started and he says, Pee Wee, would you do me a favor? I said, sure. He said, would you go out and start the game? He said, I'm too scared. And I'm going, you're a surgeon. And you're too scared to run out on the mound and start the game. And it just goes to show you, you know, everybody's got, you know, things that are easy. You know, uh, everybody's got things that are difficult for them, but... It, it was great to uh, be out there with so many unique people. Well, let me tell you my Brooks Robinson story. Uh, you're talking about Brooks made me think of this, and we just lost him this last year. I was sorry to see, because uh, uh, you're right. What a tremendous, friendly human being and a talented, uh, uh, next to Ken McMullen, one of the probably the best third basemen ever. And, and uh, at a fantasy camp, he, and, and, and Kenny, you'll back this up, some of the former players that didn't pitch in the majors in a fantasy camp situation will come out and pitch to us campers. And that was the case in this one game. Brooks came out to the mound, and he started throwing to us campers. And uh, I, I first time I was up, I, I hit a base hit to center field. And the second time up against him, uh, I think I grounded out. But after the game, it occurred to me, and I said to him, I said, uh, Brooks, I'm batting 500 against you. And he said, he said, you're the only guy in the world to have ever batted 500 against me. And I still mention that to people. And I had him, I had him sign a picture, only guy I know to be batting 500 against me, Brooks Robinson. Well, that's that's what he was such a great individual. I mean, <laughs> uh, he could have said something else, you know, but uh, he was very nice. <laughs> uh, and he was in, speaking of fantasy camps, and this wasn't one that Max uh, had, but it was, uh, I, I, and in fact, I don't know who started it. But it took place here in Iowa in Dyersville at the Field of Dreams. Brooks Robinson was there. Uh, Reggie, George Brown, it was a bunch of good names. And and the original Field of Dreams, of course, the dimensions were off quite a, 
quite a bit. So I was batting for my team, bases are loaded, and on the mound was uh, Bert Campanaris. Did you, you, you played against him, right? Didn't you, I, No, I played with him in Oakland uh, the one year. Okay. And and uh, he had a he who, who was his uh, cousin that played in the majors? That I don't know. Okay, well I think he had, he had a relative, a, a cousin or somebody else played in the major league. Anyway, Bert Campanaris on the mound. I'm at the plate, and I went corn. I took in corn. I hit it. I, I hit it into the cornfield, and uh, it took me about ten minutes to round the bases. It wasn't because I was. I was, you know, uh, uh, don't get I wasn't doing that. It just took me that long to round the bases. Yeah, use a sundial to time you. <laughs> uh, so when you mentioned that I looked like Babe Ruth, let me tell you my Willie Mays story. It made me think of this. Uh, I, I was an American League guy, so I didn't follow the National League that much. And I, like everybody, was a Willie Mays fan. Uh, you know, Mickey Mantle and those guys were more important to me. So we were out in front of a dugout playing catch, the first camp where I was going to get to meet Willie Mays. And and uh, sure enough, there's a commotion on the other side of the field, and it's Willie Mays, and all the players on that side just started to congregate around him and and welcome him to camp, and they wanted pictures, and as you'd expect, he was uh, a pretty star attraction. And then he saw me, and he started calling me, hey, there's Babe Ruth. Hey, Babe Ruth. Hey, Babe Ruth. And he came over and and uh, was shaking my hand and, and carrying out, hey, Babe Ruth. And he's got that high kind of squeaky voice, right? And so... I, I was loving every minute of it, all the attention he was giving me. And, and we uh, met with him. We, we uh, had him sign our stuff, got pictures with him and everything, and, and got along well. He, he, you know, I was Babe Ruth to him. Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth. So I go back home after camp. I'm living in the Quad Cities at the time, working for the Department of Corrections. And, and uh, I saw in the paper where... Willie Mays is going to make an appearance at a card show in in uh, in a town just over the border there and in in uh, Illinois. So I told a buddy of mine at work, and, and, and whose son played little league, I said, "Why don't we go to this show and and get in line and and meet Willie Mays?" I said, "I got a couple of pictures of me and him. I want him to sign." I said, "We got." We got along well enough that he was calling me Babe Ruth and this and that. I said, and, and so we went, all right? We went. My buddy, his son, and me, the three of us go over to, uh, to this town. We get in line, and I've been bragging to my buddy. I said, once Willie sees me, you know, he's going to give me Babe Ruth. Because I, I thought we got along so well. So I'm bragging it up a little bit. And, and when we get over there and we get in line, I, I'm showing him the pictures. And he could have cared. He could have cared less. He didn't even look up. I go, hey, Willie, it's me, Babe Ruth. Come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He scribbled his name on it, and he 
wanted us to move on. And I go, oh, my God. I said, what the hell happened here? My buddy's making fun of me. Oh, yeah, you guys are, you know, tight. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I, I go, I don't know what happened. I go, he must be in a horrible mood because I didn't expect him to jump up and say, hey, Pilch, when I walked in, right? But I thought when he saw the pictures. Yeah, but Pilch, you were out of uniform. He couldn't recognize you. Right, but that's why the that's why I thought the pictures would remind him that of the camp and of me, and and then he go, oh, yeah, you know, he he'd uh, be friendlier than he was. And so I turn around to the promoter of the show and I go, hey, I don't I don't know what's happened, but I showed him the pictures, and I said I said maybe when everybody's through the line, maybe he's been upset about something, and he and and uh, you know we'll. If we could, we, maybe we could catch up with him after the show. And, and the guy was nice. He said, sure. He goes, uh, there's a reception, right, uh, you know, in this room here afterwards. And you can come back in then, which we did. And he still blew me off. No no recognition, no willingness to be friendly at all. And so we left. And all the way home, this kid, my buddy's busting my chops. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm pissed off about it. So, all right, fast forward to that January's uh, camp, and sure enough, Willie Mays going to make an appearance. Same thing, I'm playing catch out in front of the dugout, and and uh, big commotion over at the third base side. Here comes Willie Mays, and I look over, and I go, yeah, yeah, right, the hell with him. I thought, I've already got him to sign a couple of things. i got a couple pictures with him. I don't need to, to meet him. And, kiss his ass again and and uh so i go back to playing catch it was probably with peewee and, and sure enough all of a sudden like hey there's babe ruth there's babe, babe. the guy willie mays comes over and he's hugging on me and and carrying on like we're best of friends and i kept thinking what in the hell's going on here i thought he he couldn't be more unfriendly at that show if he had tried but here at this camp, suddenly now we're best friends again. And I always that was found that curious. And and I, I've been told that at these card shows, he, he can become pretty surly. And he's not friendly at all. And, and he's distant. And he doesn't want to get pictures with anybody. And so, uh, you know, that's my Willie Mays story. Uh, can I tell you mine? I hope you do. <laughs> We were playing, I think it was a, yeah. and like all the spring uh, camps, there's usually four fields. And in the middle, there's usually a tower that the coach can be in. He can actually look at all four if he wants to. And gated, everything was gated. And I was pitching, which I didn't pitch a lot, but when they ran out of pitchers, I said, yeah, I'll throw a strike. So I'm out there pitching and we're winning. And all of a sudden, a big commotion, and it's Willie walking from the clubhouse with an entourage, and he couldn't wait to get inside the fence so people would leave him alone. And uh, Monty was uh, uh, coaching the team. And Monty Irvin, Hall of Famer, Negro Leagues, Monty Irvin. Great yeah. guy. Great guy. So Willie goes over to help him, and Willie picks up the glove while you were getting your catcher stuff on. So I'm out there and I'm throwing him in there and he goes, give me your heat. I said, that was it. <laughs> so it's last inning, what happened is all the other games
games were done. So all the players and the coaches from all of the teams, they were all around. I mean, there were a couple hundred people just watching that last inning. So I'm out there on the mound. Willie can't stand it. There's two outs. We've got Willie coming up. He grabs the bat, says, I'm going up. He gets up there. I throw the first one inside, not on purpose or anything. It just happened. And he jumped back, you know, and everybody's booing and on. And I throw a knuckleball all the time, so it's not fast. I threw the next one in there. It fluttered a little bit. He did that famous thing he used to do, which he would swing and actually almost do a 360 turnaround. And everybody was oohing and on. And I had told the outfielders, get one arm's length from the wall. And sure, pitch with a line drive out, just missed the home run. It drops down. The guy picks it up, throws it in the second. Willie got a single. And everybody's having a good time. So I go into a stretch, and I look in, and a round guy's catching. And he gives me the international universal uh, sign for a pitch out. And I'm going, what the hell's he doing? So I throw as fast as I could, which, by the way, I did win an award at the camp. I got the school zone award because I couldn't throw more than 15 miles an hour. So, <laughs> the guy's got a, a rocket for an arm. He grabs it, throws the first base. We get Willie Mays in the pickle. We get him out and end the game. We're laughing, having a good time. We all go into the clubhouse for lunch. It was great. It was great. Now, Ken, Ken McMullen is our uh, guest, one of our guests here this afternoon. Ken, as a Dodger, you had to play against Willie, uh, and that Giants-Dodgers was quite a rivalry, was it not? Well, yeah, I was a rookie when I first got there, but uh, in 62, we end up, I got called up at the end of the season and got in a few games, but that was the year that... Uh, we lost in the playoffs, and uh, that was pretty much the only time I got to see uh, Willie Mays play. Uh, but uh, let me ask you guys something. Wouldn't wouldn't you agree that uh, the most friendliest, down to earth player that came in was Mickey Mantle? Oh, he was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my hero. I remember that they told us because his appearance fee was so expensive and the same with Willie, uh, they said, uh, we're going to just divvy up their time to have them do this, this, pose some pictures, sign some autographs, this and that. And they said purposely, they said, don't bring a bunch of stuff to have them sign. Uh, they said, just limit it to a couple of things. Well, I never heard that. I, 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 I you bought your closet. I brought everything. And, and I, you know, I love the guy so much. And I had so many photos and things. I, I couldn't help myself. And and so he got accustomed to that. He would, he would, uh, uh, every time he saw me and he saw that I had a stack of photos and a, and a Sharpie, and he would turn to me and he would say, you are a fat bleeping pain in my ass but but he would sign everything and and uh we got along well enough that that uh max would let me go to the airport and pick him up and he'd let me uh drive him back to the airport he we tagged along with me a couple of times when we did that we had we had some one-on-one -on -one time with uh arguably one of the
one of the best Yankees of all time. Yeah. It was, well, we, when I went to the, it was interesting because we were having a good time out with all the guys. We were having a couple of drinks and having a good time. And Max came up and said, hey, Pee Wee, he throws me the keys. He said, you got to go to the airport and pick someone up. And it was like, oh, God. You know, man, so it was about a 20-minute ride to the airport. So the round guy and I go out there. He comes off the plane, and we had been with him at camp maybe a month before. So he knew our names. We get him. We get him in the car. That 20-minute drive back took 45 We had him. And it was a lot of fun. And he started getting around. The round guy goes, you want a couple girls tonight? And he goes, you know, I'm so tired. He said, I was playing golf today. And he said, and who was he playing with number one? Um, Billy Martin. Martin. And he said he, he was he was um, playing golf with Billy Martin. He got a call from Steinbrenner. And the night before, a guy hits a home run to right field, line drive. There was a guy on first. He didn't know what's going out of the ballpark, and neither did the guy at first base. So the guy went to tag up, and the guy who hit the home run passed him. And Steinbrenner said to, to, to Martin, I want the guy who hit the home run fine. I want the guy he passed fine. I want the first base coach fine. And I want your ass fine. And we're, oh. we're stop laughing. We couldn't stop it. So we're, we're driving farther. We almost get to the hotel. And, and the round guy, just kidding around. Nick, you sure you want a couple girls tonight? You know, and we were laughing our head off. We get him in. We go and we get this card for him for the whole room. We go up there. He signed a couple of things. And we leave. Well, the next morning, we're having breakfast around that. Probably 30 pros in there having breakfast and 80 of the campers. And all of a sudden, Mickey comes to the, the doorway. And it was like two steps up. And you could hear a pin drop. Just everybody just stopped talking, stopped eating. You could hear a pin drop. And he looks out over the crowd. And he looks over and he goes, hey, Pee-wee, round guy, can I come have breakfast with you? And we go, okay, come on. Everybody is, who the hell are these guys? You know, we were just a chauffeur, you know. And he gets to the table and he says, thanks for last night. It's no big thing because we picked them up. It turns out that the two girls that work at the front desk came up, knocked on his door to get an autograph. He thinks we send them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, girls, I'm too tired. You know, I've played golf all day, you know. So he signed a few things. So he thought we sent these girls. And we were just the nicest. He loved us. He loved us. So that's the big story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Ken McMullen is our guest, along with my buddy Pee Wee Razor. Ken, you played against Mantle. Tell us some things about the Mick that, that uh, people that are listening to this podcast have never heard before. Well, you know, Mick and uh, Martin and the crew, uh, uh, they were noted to hit, hit a few bars. Uh, right. But in Washington, when I was there, uh, they beat on us like a drum. I mean, the Yankees come in. And, but uh, you could always uh, see if, uh, if Mick was in good shape because uh, at, in batting practice, he'd be leaning against the batting cage and uh, he, he wouldn't take too many swings. But uh, they said that he would lean against the cage just to keep his balance. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, 
uh, he was he was something. In fact, uh, I, when I was playing with Washington, I didn't get much notoriety, but there was a magazine, sport magazine, that uh, came out, and uh, he had done an article for them of the most underrated players in the league, and he had named me uh, as one because I was with the Senators and you just didn't get any recognition, but uh, I have always appreciated that he was aware of the fact that uh, uh, that I could play pretty good baseball. That's awesome. What in your career? There's always a, a player that that has a pitcher's number. That that uh, when you saw you were batting against this guy. You just lit up because you knew you were going to go four for four. And then there would be a pitcher that just owned you with the opposite side of the coin. Where you saw you were going to hit against him and you went, uh-oh, this could be an offer. What pitchers were like that for you? Pilch, that most of them owned me. And uh, and I tell you what, there wasn't any, any pitcher that I owned. Uh, but you know, I, I got a listing from somebody who sent me a sheet of paper of all the home runs I'd hit during the, my career. And, uh, I was very surprised to see, I, I think I hit three or four off of a Paul Lindlet. And other than that, uh, there wasn't too many others, maybe Sam McDowell. I hit a couple of them off of him, but, uh, he was no picnic to, to face. So. No, there's uh, there's not too many that, uh, that I, I got on. Well, I'm surprised to hear that. I'm surprised to hear that. I'll tell you, uh, uh, but back to Mickey, when at one particular camp, and Pee Wee, you'll remember this, uh, like I said, his appearance fee, they couldn't afford to pay him to stay there all week, right? So, so the one day uh, he was making his appearance, usually it was in the midweek, like a Wednesday. So, uh, he had come in, we didn't, he came in at night, we didn't, we didn't go to the airport, but we were gonna, we were gonna give him a ride back, uh, Wednesday uh, afternoon or evening. And, and I had always, uh, mentioned to him, when, when, uh, when my softball team and we'd go out afterwards, the key phrase for us was always, we're going to go have a few Shastas, right? The code word Shasta meant we were going to go out and drink some beer. And I had used that term around him enough that uh, apparently it stuck. And, and uh, after the second game, we we're back at the hotel and, and, uh, Mickey was in the lobby with the rest of us, and I said to him, "I said, are you ready to to get a, uh, let us get you to the airport?" And he said, "No, no." He said, "I decided to stay overnight and leave tomorrow." And Pee Wee and I were standing there with him, and then there were two other campers that were on the other side, and they were overhearing us. And Mickey turned to us and he said. I said, he said, I've canceled my flight. We're gonna, I'm gonna leave tomorrow. He said, Pilch, let's go have a few shastas. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and we were, we were getting ready to board a bus and go to some barbecue somewhere. So I quickly, and I mean very quickly, realized 
Now, I can go to a barbecue anytime. I can't go have a few shastas with Mickey Mantle, you know, that often. So, Peewee and I started to follow him. These other two campers that overheard him, they, they followed us. So we went to a private part of the bar back in the back bar area. So there was me and Pee-wee, these other two campers, and the Mick. And he said, your money is no good here. And we got absolutely tanked with Mickey Mantle. He, and he had hors d'oeuvres sent out to us and food and all. He wouldn't let us pay for a thing. Uh, the bartender uh, couldn't have been happier, and and uh, the, the guy was saying how he, he said, oh, my girlfriend won't believe this. Mickey said, what's her phone number? And we, he called her, and and uh, uh, he was, you know, just uh, uh, messing around and joking around, and and we, we were all tanked before the test we got out there, and, uh, uh, and it was just... A, a night I'll never forget. I'll just yeah. forget it. Whoever he told us? Uh, which six, one? In 62, when him and Maris were neck and neck going for the, the record, he said that what happened was he didn't feel well, and he was he was leading at the time, and he didn't want to go to the team doctor because he didn't want to alert him to anything. So he asked, I think it was Mel Allen, uh, about a doctor, and they send him to a guy, and put the pain doctor, and he goes in there, and the guy gave him a shot in his uh, upper part of his fanny, you know, and almost to his waist, but in the fatty part. And when he walked out, he was walking, you know, down the street, and he said he wasn't feeling good. There was a hotel, so he checked into the hotel. Then he had to call up the team. The team, they got him, and he showed us. He said what happened was he had an allergic reaction. And he said, and he dropped, literally dropped his, his pants, had his underwear on. But he showed us in the cheek of his fanny up high. He had a divot there. And he said what they had to do was they had to take that all out. And yeah. he went in the World Series that year when he slid into second base and people could see the blood on there. They all thought it was just from the slide. But what it was was he reopened the wound. And he Jeez. said... Had that happened, he said he would have won that. He would have had more than the sixty-two. So you know that's that was amazing. You know, that's an amazing story. Never been told before. Yeah, the truth. We didn't take any pictures of him. <laughs> but yeah, he was he was great though. He was always always nice. I ended up going to a signing in Buffalo with my son, who, who bought and my son was maybe I don't know eight or nine years old, and he bought me. A, a book for Father's Day for uh, that Mickey wrote, and we stood in line just like you were talking, Pilch. And you know, there's somebody there who's just putting something in front of him, sign it. He looked up and he saw me. He goes, Pee Wee. He goes, How you doing? And boy, when we walked away, my son, who's now a doctor, said, You know, Dad, he really does know you. And he was that nice to everybody. He was, he was really, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, of the hundreds of stories that are out there. You know, Pee-wee, we should sit down and write a book, actually. And, and uh, uh, Ken, you would be prominently mentioned in that. Uh, uh, we're starting to lose a lot of uh, the guys that we, you know, we saw at those camps, and it's sad, but yet it's, it's a rite of passion. 
who do you recall uh, being uh, other than the guys we've already mentioned? You know, some of the camp, uh, the the uh, retired players that were at the camps and and you know gave so much of themselves and enjoyed it maybe as much as if not more than we did. There there were so many. I can't really signal out one particular person. It was just a combination of everything that involved, and that's that's what the fantasy camps were designed for: is to have memories, to to think back, and have the, all the fun that you would have. So uh, no, I, I I just can't think of uh, an answer for that. Do you were you playing with the Dodgers uh, when there was that uh, Juan Marichal, John Roseboro brawl? Uh, I don't know much about it other than uh, Roseboro was my uh, teammate. And uh, what led up to that happened prior. A lot of it was prior. Uh, uh, As he told it, uh, uh, the way it was told, he said that uh, Sandy Koufax was pitching and uh, got a couple of... uh, Dodgers got knocked down by Marshall, and uh, Roseboro said that Sandy would not knock anybody down. And so uh, one pitch came in, and uh, I guess uh, this was uh, Marshall. Was it Marshall? Yeah, Marshall was hitting, and Roseboro, when the, he caught the ball, he made a deliberate attempt to throw the ball back to Koufax, real close to Marshall's head. As it you know, it zoomed by. Things were were said, and that's how it all started. But it was like prior to that, too many Dodgers were being knocked down by Marshall, and that was the only way he could retaliate was throwing one close to his head on the way back to the pitching mound. Well, I remember the ruckus, and and that Marshall tried to hit Roseboro over the head with the bat, and of course both dugouts emptied, and it did it. Uh, it it uh, created quite a stir, and and uh, speak to to that how prominent that was back then. Those types of uh, situations, as opposed to today, where you know umpires warn the pitchers, they warn both dugouts, and and, and uh, you know now if a pitch gets anywhere near a batter, you know they throw the bat down, they'll charge the mound, but yet. Uh, it's nowhere near as often as it used to be in the old days, is it? No, it was an everyday occurrence that you were hitting a guy quite a bit. You might expect to get knocked down or thrown at, and it, it was just a given. That's the way the game was played. Uh, they played hard, uh, and uh, but now today, it's, uh, no, they make funny signs at each other, and that's as far as it goes. But actually, that was Tito Fuentes that had the bat. He was on the on-deck circle that uh, he was out trying to hit Roseboro over the head. But, uh, oh, okay. Well, okay. Anyway, Tom Roseboro was the coach for me the one time, and he, when he talked about that, he said, you know, he said in the off-season, he took uh, karate and taekwondo and all of these martial arts. <laughs> right. Said, but when, when it happened, and the, he hit them over the head, he goes, he forgot about all of it. He forgot about all of it. So he was, Roseboro 
was really nice to, to be a coach too. He, he he was a good good guy, and uh, and that was the, our camp there was the first time that the two of them literally got together. He said, "Yeah, yeah." And the bus go to the camp in the morning to work out, and uh, I go. The bus was pretty full, and I'm, I'm going back there, and and um, Juan Marichal is sitting there, and and, and he. You know, still broken English, and come here, kid. You know, sit, sit down. You know, they were very, very nice. Pee Wee, do you remember uh, being at a Minnesota Twins game with me? And Maury Wills was managing Seattle, and he got thrown out. And he, we saw him sitting in the stands, and we went up and sat next to him. We were talking to him while he was busy giving signals. Uh, to his team? No, I don't remember that. And I, I swear it was you. No, I'll tell you and, that. And, and it was only, I just now, you know, you mentioned uh, Fuentes, and, and and I remember Maury Wills, who you played with, Kenny, and, and I, suddenly I, I remember that. I, I swear it was you, Pee Wee. No, but, uh, you know, you mentioned, Kenny, how you tried to make the morning like a real uh, uh, spring training. And I really like that because Murray Wills talked about stealing bases. And I thought, and I was pretty fast. I thought I knew everything about stealing bases. And when he showed us, you know, you use the crossover stuff, here's why. It actually showed you why, how much closer you were. And I'm going, I've had all kinds of coaches. Nobody ever showed me that. And I'm going, what? In there with major leaguers, know what they're doing. That, That was great. So, the idea of what you did in the morning was, to me, one of the highlights of it, too. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, our whole, whole purpose was to make it, it enjoyable for everyone, and uh, I think we uh, we served a good purpose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a – uh, the first camp I was at, I was teamed up with Maury Allen. Remember Maury Allen? I yeah I think so yeah he was a sports writer for the New York right. Post right and he covered the Yankees and and he kind of kept a diary of the week and he would send back a story to the Post and he included me in it in every day in some way uh, he and I hit it off pretty well and and he was a great guy he passed away a number of years ago but uh, before he did. Uh, he wrote a book, he wrote several books, but he wrote one in particular called Memories of the Mick. And in it, he included a paragraph about me and the Mick. And, and, it, and it covered the area of after he retired and he got into these card shows where he apparently made more money there in the memorabilia part of it than, than he did when he was playing. Right. But there's a there's a paragraph in there, and I I have a copy of the book, and I'm eager, always eager to point out to people that have some skepticism about my stories of the Mick, and and I turn them on to that book and and tell them to look through it, and and my name is in the back in the uh, index, and they can go to that page and and read about me and the Mick. Now it's not, Maury uh, uh, couldn't print what a lot of actually what happened and what was discussed because uh it would have an x rating to it uh uh but but
but uh, I'm always proud of that and always appreciative and thankful to Maureen Allen, who, who found it uh, okay to print something about me and Mick in there. Have you, are you familiar with the book at all? Uh, I don't read a lot. I always wait for it to come out in the movies. There you go. Well, when that happens, they're going to have Robert Redford play me, then that's what'll That's what'll happen. The natural. Anyway, tell them about the uh, the camp where uh, we were just coming back from dinner and we had to walk by the pool and the jacuzzi. Bill just got his blue sport coat on. We're dressed up. We just did dinner with Tommy Davis, who was a great guy. And we're walking back to our room, and there's a pool. You get beyond the pool, and they had a, a hot tub, which was you didn't have to go up to get into it. It was it was level with the with the ground, and there were about four two couples in there, and they're all kidding around, having a good time, drinking a little bit, and uh, they kind of said something guy like on in without without taking off anything he just walked right in and sat down with his sport coat and everything <laughs> we, we had a lot of fun we had a lot of fun Kenny I knew I, I started sizing this up as we parked the car I thought okay with where we're gonna walk we're going to go right by the jacuzzi. There's going to be some campers in there with their girlfriends, wives, whatever. On our way back to our room, and I, I was immediately thinking to myself, I thought, well, I don't have a wallet with any kind of uh, papers that would get uh, ruined because I had a money clip. And, and I said, the sport coat, the clothes, the only thing I was worried about was my dress shoes. But I thought, they, yeah, they could dry out, too, and it. And so, sure enough, we walk up to this hot tub, and I knew one of them was going to say, hey, come on in. The water's fine. I said, all right, I'll call your bluff. And I walked right in, sat down, had a beer with them, and, and uh, they're still talking about it to this day. I'm sure of it. <laughs> it's all in the preparation. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the reputation that you, uh, you gained. Uh, let's get back to, uh, you know, bean balls and, and uh, with all those home runs you hit, there had to be somebody somewhere, whether it was in the minor leagues or the major leagues, uh, that uh, threw at your head. Tell us if that happened and who it might have been. Not really, no. The only time I got hit in the head was my fault. Uh, Joe Horland was pitching. He had a great curveball. And uh, he threw one back behind my head, and I ducked. And, of course, it broke right down to where, where I ducked. And uh, I actually apologized to him. He, you know, he said, you all right? You all right? I said, it's my fault, Joe. But other than that, uh, I had one guy that uh, did kind of knock me down and hit me in the hand, which caused me to go on the disabled list for a couple of days. But Now, other than that, uh, I, I was... Uh, probably expecting it too much to get hit. What was, in your 14-year major league career, the, the event that uh, you remember most memorably? 
there has to be, if somebody says, hey, what'd you do in your career? There has to be one thing that jumps to mind, isn't there? What would it be? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I played baseball and I got paid to do a job and that's the way I, I went out and approached it. But uh, obviously my first at bat in the big leagues against Warren Spahn oh. and, uh, lined out to short. Uh, and my last at bat was a home run. So uh, I went out uh, at the, the peak of my career. So uh, yeah, You and Ted Williams, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't his last at bat a home run? Yeah, I think there's been six or seven other players that uh, ended up with a home run in their last at bat. But, who who uh, who was it off of? Uh, Tom House, left-handed pitcher uh, in Seattle, who went on to be with uh, was it at the Braves? Did Tom House? He was the one that caught. Hank Aaron's 715th home run, wasn't he? Well, he might have been, but he was. He became a pitching coach uh, quite a bit for a lot of pitchers afterwards. But yeah, uh, when he caught Hank Aaron's, let's see, let's see. Uh, I don't, I don't recall if he was the one that did it or not. I'm, I'm, I think I'm correct on that. Trivia has always been my forte, especially in baseball. You are and correct, sir. Speaking of trivia, uh, Ken, if you wouldn't mind, uh, share the story, which I use to this day and still win a bet with, about uh, the Dodgers uh, honoring you at a difficult time in your life. Share that story with us, if you're okay. If not, we'll, we won't talk. No, no not at all. Uh, that, that was in 1974, I believe. And uh, my wife at the time uh, had cancer, and uh, she passed away, and I think it was April. And uh, so the whole team had black armbands uh, on their sleeve, on their uniform, until they wore those until I got back to join the club. So, uh, and that that was the game while you were gone, but. That was the series where Hank Aaron hit 7.15, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. Right, because if you if you see the replay of that, Al Downing uh, was wearing a black armband at the time he pitched to Hank Aaron who hit the 715th home run. That is a trivia question that, that today is not known by a lot of people. Well, it will be known now. Well, I just—I was just thinking. I may have done myself an in-service by, uh, you know, having you share that story because now I won't be able to get, get every everybody to not know what the answer is. Right. But that's uh, respectful, not just to uh, your wife's past, but to you as a as a teammate, right? Yes, I mean they were very very nice during the whole ordeal. Uh, they didn't want to rush me back or anything, take your time. And uh, even after I got back, uh, they treated me just like uh, nothing had happened, which I appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, unfortunately that happens. And, and as a major league player, you spend so much time away from your family. Uh, and they allowed you to, to be with her and then 
some time to grieve before you came back and became uh, part of the team again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, uh, I was in spring training when I was called back home because there wasn't a lot of time left. Uh, they, uh, the doctor said so. Yeah, I was. I think uh, when he hit the home run within the first or second week of uh, the season. I, yeah, I believe it was April. It was April sometime. So what does Ken McMullen, retired Major League Baseball player, do to, uh, with his time now that you're retired? And uh, what's going on in your world? Well, I try to play as much golf as I can, uh, maybe four times a week unless the weather's bad. But uh, I, I've been fortunate. I, I made some investments and, and bought some real estate. And, uh, I to, trying to keep my kids involved in, with that so that they can take over and I don't have to worry too much about it. But that's basically it, just uh, planning some golf. And, and uh, I'm assuming that, that some you still get some mail uh, relative to, to these people that may want an autograph or something like that. Are you okay with that? Well, yeah, I, and I always sign. Uh, I, I I don't charge. A lot of guys charge, but the whole thing is, uh, I get maybe uh, four or five a week, and uh, I also go to Oregon in my uh, time in the summer. Uh, so when I get back after being up there a, a month, uh, there will be twenty or thirty uh, <laughs> autograph seekers uh, through the mail. When when you go out and about and you're golfing or at the restaurant or out with your kids and. Are you recognized? Do people come up to you that way? No problem at all. Nope. Uh, it's been too long, and there's too many people. No, and I, I don't. I don't like to relish in it. I had my day in the sun, and uh, so I, I actually appreciate not uh, being recognized. Well, I, you know, I can imagine, but yet today, the, the autograph thing and the memorabilia thing, it seems to be as popular now and if not more so than, than it was back when you were playing right are you familiar with how the, the uh, Mickey Mantle's uh, pinstripe uniform in an auction recently sold for 4.2 million dollars and, and uh, I, I saw one of Ken McMullen's Washington Senators uh, jerseys sell for like uh, not near four million, but but uh, it was uh, it was almost two thousand two thousand. So these items uh, are just uh, desirable uh, as uh, part of these collectors. Do you, do you have anything left over from your playing days? Oh, very very few. I, I think I do have some Dodger uh, uniforms that uh, they would. See, I was on the Speakers Bureau with the Dodgers a number of years, so there were so many appearances. They would give us uh, jerseys to wear uh, to these functions. So I do have a lot of Dodger jerseys. But, okay. Uh, now, were these from your playing days, or did they just have them printed up? No, these these were just printed up. Uh, that Washington uniform would have been made out of wool if you yeah. back in the 60s. Right. Yeah, the flannels, yeah, were, were uh, wool, and they're now double-knit. 
and they now, you know, for any given player, they, they make a ton of them because they, they sell them out of their gift shops or, or, uh, uh, they're, they're, uh, uh, by, they're brokered by some sports, uh, sports shop and sold because that's, that's where this hobby has gotten, where just everybody is crazy to collect a game worn uniform by Anthony Rizzo or, or, uh, Kyle Schwarber or, uh, Juan Soto and, you know, all of these guys, it's yeah, just really, really, they, really even sell, they sell broken bats. Which yeah. Is yeah. And, and I always thought, you know, that's the band has got the guy's name stamped on it. And so, uh, it's a legitimate souvenir. If you're a fan of this particular player and, and you can get their bat, uh, you know, it's, it's a good souvenir. The next time I see a Ken McMullen Louisville Slugger available, I'm going to buy it. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, they'd probably be broken, too. <laughs> there is a we used to take that, a broken band like that, put a screw in it, and still use it. Sure. Uh, yeah, we used to nail them. Yeah. What, uh, what was your call number on the end of your bat, Kenny? I assume it was a Louisville Slugger, right? Yeah, I think everybody had signed with Louisville Slugger until Adirondack came out, and then they would sign players too. But uh, yeah, now there's like 30 different bat manufacturers. Back in your day, there was just Louisville or Adirondack. Pretty much, yeah. And then even uh, somebody signed with Japan, and they made they tried to make them out of. Oh, uh, I, I can't remember now, but uh, they even had some Japanese bats come in. Now, I remember Mickey Mantle used the K-55 Louisville Slugger. What was your uh, number? K-55. Same one. You used, a, used a K-55 as well? Yes. Yeah. Well, you and the Mick got something in common. Well, I didn't know that, but yeah, I guess so. There you go. Anyway, what's uh, uh what we gotta? I guess we gotta wrap this up. I think Kenny's gonna got a tea time. Maybe we we should let him go. What what else do you uh, want to bring up as the way of, in the way of uh, any fantasy camps? Oh, we got a ton of things, but I wanted to say something that was special was you catching Hoyt Wilhelm in his knuckleball, and then Mickey Mantle throwing knuckleballs to you. No, no, you're only half right there. Uh, Jake Gibbs told me about the time he was warming up in front of the Yankee dugout with Mickey Mantle and Mickey Mantle started throwing his knuckleball and it broke his jaw. Jake, Jake Gibbs said Mickey Mantle broke his jaw. And so I brought that up to the Mick and, and, uh, we had a, a bet. I bet him that I could catch his knuckleball, and he said, no way could could I do it. And we had a bet for, uh, and, and, I, and I'm, I was too scared to actually put it, put it to, to test, really, because he bet me $5,000 that I couldn't catch it. And, and he said, if you catch it, 
you can come to my fantasy camp for free, which is one that he and Whitey started, and they, they were there all week. But but he cut out to, to be one day again with ours, and and uh, I was so shook up, I, we never really finalized it. But that was, I was going to, I was going to try to catch. I did catch Hoyt Wilhelms with no problem, uh, but I I kind of uh, got scared out of catching Mickey's. I thought, you know, Jake Gibbs, who's an accomplished catcher by then himself, if he gets his jaw broken, I thought, what the hell is going to happen to me? <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was something I always wish. Uh, had happened, but uh, but it never did. I did want to bring up something about how most of the campers got there at these camps, and that we're lucky enough to have wives, girlfriends, friends, whatever, that ended up sending us. You know, it was, for me, it was my 40th birthday, which is great. And, of course, when you get home and you're telling your wife about all these great meals you had, the great people, everybody said you got to take care of her, you got to, you know, take her someplace for an expensive meal. So I took her to the airport. The people who were at these camps are what really made it. Both the pro, the pros and the, the, the campers themselves. They're great people. Well, I wish I still had uh, enough money and ability to go to them. But, uh, uh, you know, I just don't have it anymore, Kenny. I'm just... Uh, I, you know, I, I don't realize how old I am until I get up and I hear my bones cracking. That's two of us. Yeah. I wish I could do today what I used to do when I was 65, and I never thought I'd say that. You know, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're the senior statesman, Pee-wee. Oh, yeah. I'm the you're so old, you can remember when Jake from State Farm used to be a white guy. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, Ken McMullen, a 14-year major leaguer and Pee-wee Razor. Hey, uh, Pee-wee, give, give everybody a plug for your – Kenny, listen to this guy and how why I hate him like I do. He's a, a, a hell of a salesman. This guy could sell the Pope a double bet. He's made more money that way than God. He is an accomplished musician. He used to be in a variety of bands as a quality drummer. He used to drum for Leon Redbone, if you ever heard of him. And and uh, he's an award-winning artist. He'll paint a, a watercolor painting for you that's that's worthy of being in an art gallery. And, and he's just so talented. The only thing he can't do is, like you said earlier, hit a baseball. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Pee-wee, give people a plug where they can go see some of your artwork and maybe buy, because uh, by your own admission, you're getting old enough. Once you die, this stuff will shoot through the roof in value, right? Right. Yeah. Watercolors by Fritz. Watercolors by Fritz, huh? Exactly. On Facebook. On Facebook. Robert, you came one time to see at an art show, and... There was an ambulance parked right nearby, which you have to have for these art shows in case somebody has a heart attack or something. And you're telling everybody, hey, buy this guy's art stuff. Look, the ambulance is for him. It's going to do nothing but go up in price. Buy it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. no, and, and we can 
at each other a lot here, but that's the truth. An award-winning watercolor artist. Say that. What's the what is it again? The website or the it's Facebook watercolors by Fritz. Fritz F R I T Z, right? That's one last thing. Who had a better batting average, me or you? Me? You kidding? <laughs> uh, oh. We used to, Kenny. We used to keep track all week, and and uh, sometimes I think I won, sometimes he won, but uh, it was never as much as we would have wanted it to be, you know. Right. But um, uh, let's save some of this for an, a, a follow up. Yeah. All right. Dan McMullen, our guest, Fred, uh, Pee Wee Razor, our other guest. Guys, it was enjoyable walking down memory lane with you. Great. And you guys are great to be around. Awesome. Kenny, I love you. Pee Wee, I love you. Thanks, guys. Hey. That's it. Hey. I think we were out about an hour.